Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. So on this podcast, I'll be talking with author Susan Adrian, and we'll be talking about the middle-grade fantasy book The Dark is Rising by Susan Cooper. Uh, that's the second book in her series, which is also called The Dark is Rising. But first, as always, I'm going to start with a poem. And the poem I'm going to read today is called Mindoro. It was written by Ramon C. Sonico, and I found it in the poetry collection This Same Sky, a collection of poems from around the world. Uh, these were selected by Naomi Shahab Nye. Uh, Ramon C. Sonico is a poet and editor of several books. Uh, he's been awarded both the Philippines Free Press Literary Award and the Carlos Palanca Memorial Literary Awards, and he is also author of the picture book, Two Friends, One World. Mindoro by Ramon C. Sunico. The sun dissolves. Some pieces float on the green sea, which hurries to darkness. The bloodlight flickers, while sporadically a wave slaps against the side of our slippery boat. The red threads of last light dance on the shoulders of our oarsmen. No one notices the stars begin to cluster like mayflies. The call of land to us is sharper than a fishhook. The rented home and dinner steaming. We are all mutes riding along on this boat. To the left, the sea slices the afternoon in two. To the right, the mountains of Mindoro ripen. Uh, my guest today is Susan Adrian, author of the middle grade novel Nutcracked and the YA novels Tunnel Vision and The Dark End. Her latest middle grade novel, Forever ne Neverland, uh, has just come out on June 25th this year, 2019. Uh, you can find Susan's website at www.susanadrian.net. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Susan. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Now, I mentioned uh, your previous novel, Nutcrack, came out in 2017, and I'm wondering if you want to, if you could talk a little bit about it, uh, what it was about, and what inspired you to write it. Absolutely. Uh, Nutcrack is about a girl who always wanted to be Clara in the Nutcracker. Um, she is 12 years old. She auditions at the beginning of the book, and she gets to be Clara, but her best friend doesn't. So one of the themes of the book is how a friendship can survive when one friend um, achieves something and the other doesn't. But a large part of the book is also magic. And what happens is every time that Georgie, the main character, dances with um, the Nutcracker that belongs to her studio, she actually goes into the Nutcracker's world. And she finds out that it's the 200th anniversary of how long they have been trapped in this cycle of uh, fighting the Mouse King, and he needs her help to try to break the cycle. What was it about uh, this particular story that uh, compelled you to write it? Well, a very, very personal. I actually was a dancer from the age of eight to 16. And I did, I danced with the Sacramento Ballet Company. And I did get to be Clara, which was my goal um, when I was 13 years old. So uh, a large portion of the, the dancing scenes, the auditions, the performing the Nutcracker was directly from my own experience. I, I wish I'd had the magic part, but that part uh, wasn't exactly true to life. And do you think that's important for, for uh, young writers to draw upon their own experience uh, in creating their stories? 
Um, yeah, I say yes and no. Um, my first two books are about an 18-year-old psychic spy, and I didn't have a lot of experience with that. <laughs> but those are also a lot of fun to write. Um, I think that if you have a kind of experience like that that is really powerful and uh, personal that you can draw from, it's always going to make for a richer book. So, so yes, in in some sense, if you if you have something like that, you can write about. But I also think it's perfectly fine to write about things you you haven't done. Now, your latest novel is called, as I mentioned, is called Forever Neverland. It just came out. You could talk a little bit about uh, that as well. Yeah, Forever Neverland, I'm really excited about this book. It's actually a dual point of view book. Um, the two characters um, is Fergus, who is autistic, and his sister Clover, who is neurotypical. Um, they go to visit their estranged grandparents in London and they find out that uh, they are descended from Wendy from Peter Pan. And Peter comes, uh, per his promise in the original Peter Pan books, he comes and takes them to Neverland. And they have this great adventure there. The way that I have written Neverland, it is built upon the experiences of the people who come to visit. So Fergus's special interest is Greek mythology. And so the adventure starts to happen when a uh, Greek sea monster comes and starts stealing the mermaids. And, uh, and where did the inspiration for this particular book come from? You know, it's, it's funny. I actually had the characters first and I had to kind of find the right experience for them. Fergus and Clover were very real to me. Uh, originally, they were in uh, the Secret Garden, and that didn't quite <laughs> that didn't quite work. And then once I figured out that Clover was extremely like Wendy and uh, Fergus, he's he's like a lost boy in a way, except for for him uh, when he's in Neverland, it's a completely different experience because. His autism is not viewed as different in any way. So it was really, really exciting to explore that. And then uh, Clover is a, a little bit anxious, so she doesn't get along very well in a world without rules. So that was kind of interesting to, to play with, too. Now, I understand you also uh, offer school visits to go into school and do a presentation. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what one might expect in um, a sort of a typical presentation you give? Absolutely. I just, uh, I've, I did a few school visits in Denver recently, and it's uh, a, a lot of fun. I usually end up talking to kids that are anywhere from first to fifth grade, and I do a very interactive presentation. So for um, Nutcracked, we talked about how we would build a world if they were building a world around um, the Nutcracker. So I had all the kids tell me about what kind of sweets they would they would put in the world, what kind of villains they would put in, and we created a, a whole world and then played with what the story would be like. It, it was great and <laughs> really fun because uh, I never would have thought of having Sour Patch Kids as, as the evil villain, but it was fantastic. And so I, I really like to get the kids involved in creating a story and realizing that they can create stories too. So it's not just about, you know, me in a book. It's, it's about um, sparking imagination and, and uh, spreading the love for writing as well as reading. Now, the book you chose as one of your favorite uh, kids' books is The Dark is Rising uh, by Susan Cooper. And it's actually the second, yeah, the second novel in a series of, of five novels, which are often commonly referred to as the Dark is Rising series. Uh, this particular novel uh, being published in 1973 in the UK as well as the US. Uh, for readers who might be unfamiliar uh, with this, this particular book anyway, can you talk a little bit what it's about? Absolutely. It's it's hard to say how much I love this book. <laughs> the Dark is Rising is about Will Stanton, who discovers on his 11th birthday 
that he is not who he thought he was. Um, as the seventh son of a seventh son, he is the last of the old ones or the light, which is an ancient race whose goal is to battle the dark to protect Earth. And over the course of the book, he goes from just being a normal 11-year-old boy. Um, he comes into his powers. He faces the dark. And he protects his family through a quest to collect the six signs. And and what I love about it, well, I love many things about it, but one of the things that I love is it is part of a series. To me, it kind of reads as the first in the series, which is, is why it's more important to me, even though there's kind of a prequel to it. Um, but it's Will's first entry into the world. And she has a poem which ties everything together, which I had memorized as a kid, and I can still say it from memory. So <laughs> that's how significant it was to me. Now, uh, like a lot of characters in fantasy novels, Will's a special character, um, but he doesn't realize it right away. Um, and even once he learns it, he's not quite sure what to do with that because he's usually only given a little bit of information at a time. Uh, so he has to sort of kind of right. figure things out as he goes along. And I'm wondering, what's the appeal of this kind of character who is kind of has these special abilities but doesn't uh, quite get it right away? Yeah, it's one of my favorite kind of characters because I think we can relate to them very well. He's he's not perfect. He makes mistakes all the time. Um, sometimes he makes very serious mistakes that threaten other people. But in the end, he makes the right decisions. And I think it's, you know, it's a parallel for life. You, and, and growing up, the goal is to kind of figure out the best that you can do. And um the struggle, you know, to face the struggles that you have. It's it was very really similar similar character to me to um, Meg in A Wrinkle in Time, who is another of my favorite characters. Who also her her powers are not quite as strong, but uh, it's uh, the same kind of thing where she realizes that she has a a goal that she, only she can do, and she has to come into her own. And Will really, although he's part of a race of of creatures that, that aren't quite human he still is very human with his family and he's the youngest in the family and i love how susan cooper portrays the family dynamics throughout the book and so going along with that idea i mean the start of this book it's about his birthday an 11th birthday and the changes that come with that and i'm wondering along with being a fantasy novel which it certainly is is this and you sort of touched on this a little bit is it also in many ways a coming of age novel I think it absolutely is. I think that it, it absolutely is coming of age, and more so, I think, than the other novels in the series. I think I think it really starts as a coming of age, and, and after this book, Will really is um, kind of the master of his own powers for the most part. So in The Grey King and, and Silver on the Tree, he knows what he's doing, and here he's kind of fumbling around. So this this one is more of a coming of age than any of the others. Now, to, to also touch on another point you're making, um, a lot of these kinds of fantasy stories, the hero is usually an orphan or a single child. You can think of Harry Potter as an example of that. But here, uh, there's a kind of a difference in that Will does come from a very large family, and it's very important to Will, and you talked about this a little bit. I'm wondering, uh, how does the the presence of this family uh, impact both on the challenges and just how the, the novel is presented as well? I think it's actually really critical to the book. It's a it's a balance of all the other things that are going on because the way that Susan Cooper writes the family, it's just so realistic. They all bicker with each other. <laughs> they they tease each other, um, and they have these these warm family scenes that that are are loving but real. And I think that in one sense is a good balance for everything else, and in the other sense, it means more 
when that family is threatened in the end. And, and that is what um, happens. You know, I don't want to do too, too many spoilers or anything, but when one of Will's sisters is kidnapped um, and then he has to go protect her and, you know, the whole family is threatened by the dark. So I think that if you didn't have those wonderful family scenes, then it, it would not be as meaningful what Will has to save exactly. Speaking of the dark, I mean, this book deals with a, a pretty much a literal battle between uh, light and dark, good and evil. And it's right. you know, they're almost pretty absolutes. And I'm just wondering, what is it about reading, and both in this book and other books like it, what is it about reading these kinds of sort of absolute battles? What do they do for the reader? What, what's, what are we trying to get out of it? I think it's very satisfying in a, in a world where we can't easily tell who is good and who is evil. Um, when there's shades of gray, it, it's harder to, to know what you need to do. Um, it's harder to feel satisfaction in that sense of overcoming something that you know is wrong. And here it's just so clear. The dark is clearly wrong. The light is clearly right. And it's it's very satisfying in a way that you can't get in the real world. Um, that's one of the reasons that we read fiction is is to satisfy needs that we we can't find elsewhere. And I think that um, that is extremely satisfying, especially if the light happens to win. Now, there's a lot of uh, motifs drawn from like fairy tales and myths that sort of uh, become part of this story. And I'm just wondering what is about these sort of sort of things that are somewhat familiar, although put in a very different setting that help to en en enhance the story in some way? Well, it, there's familiarity there for sure. I tend to like to do that in stories too, um, to bring in something that is familiar and then and then twist it into a different way. Um, because then you can tie it in and it, and it also feels more real. If you're seeing a myth that you recognize, then um, you can maybe believe just a little bit more that it might be true. Uh, now, apart from Will, we've talked a lot about Will. Are there any other characters, either on the, the light side or the dark side, that uh, particularly appeal to you? Yeah, um, I I love Merriman. I, I have to admit, I've I've thrown little bits of Merriman into the grandfathers in in a couple of, of my books. He's he's also Merriman is actually Merriman Lion, which um, shortens to Merlin. So um, there's some Arthurian things that come later, and I was a huge um, Arthur buff also as a kid and now I suppose. Um, so Merriman is is definitely a favorite, but it's interesting. There's there's another character that I I really am fascinated with. I can't say that I like him, but um, Walker, the Walker, who is a tramp that we run across in the beginning of the book. And it turns out later that uh, there is a very good reason why he's there, that uh, he actually betrayed the light and was punished for it. And so there's a huge theme about uh, treason and betrayal and and whether it's right that he was punished the way that he is, that it's, it's a very large theme for, for a kid's adventure book. And, and I love that that's in there. Uh, now, we've mentioned before that this is the second of a, a set of five novels. And uh, And I don't know how much you want to get into it, but how does this novel fit in with the, I guess, the the bigger story of the, the series? Well, it's, it's interesting because um, there are three characters that are not magic and not um, old ones in, in any way. Um, three siblings, and, and they are introduced in the first book. And the first book is the story of their adventure with Merriman. And then 
Will comes in in this book, and then we we get a couple of the other other special characters in the other books. So, um, what? <laughs> here I'm going to come back to the poem again. When the dark comes rising, six shall turn it back. Is both the signs that Will is seeking and the people that they need to to have the dark be defeated. So. The structure is just incredible. I, I have no idea. I actually did meet Susan Cooper once. Um, I was I was a huge fangirl and could barely say anything if I'd been able to ask her um, if she knew the structure from the beginning and if it was all plotted out before she started writing because it's just very neatly done. Well, it's very neat that you got a chance to meet her. Yeah, yeah, even though I was completely tongue-tied, but I do have a picture somewhere. <laughs> For somebody who's interested in this book, do you think it's important that they read the one before it? Can this, or is this, can this actually work as a standalone novel? I mean, ideally, it'd be nice to read the whole series, but would this, does this work as a, a book by itself, or do you think it's important to read the ones that surround it as well? I actually think that it works really well by itself. I read this one first. I, I didn't read the other one first, and. Uh, I think it works either way. After that point, I think it makes more sense if if you're going to read the whole series, if you read them in order. But the first and the second one, I, I don't think it really matters what order you read them in. And if you're, you know, um, just want to read one, I would definitely pick this one out of the whole series. The second, my second favorite from the series is The Grey King, which I also just reread over Christmas. Um, <laughs> I love to reread these books. It's, I There's a certain feeling that I get of of wonder and magic and and uh, joy that I, I just uh, I need to revisit. Now, are there any particular passages uh, from this particular novel that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'd love to uh, share a passage from when Will first wakes up into the magical world. It's on his eleventh birthday. There were there were strange things happening before um, the day before his birthday and the night before his birthday. But it's called the chapter is called Midwinter Day, and and it starts with him um, waking up into the magic for the first time. Shall I go ahead? Oh, yep, go right ahead. Okay. He was woken by music. It beckoned him, lilting and insistent, delicate music played by delicate instruments that he could not identify, with one rippling bell-like phrase running through it in a gold thread of delight. There was in this music so much of the deepest enchantment of all his dreams and imaginings that he woke smiling in pure happiness at the sound. In the moment of his waking, it began to fade, beckoning as it went, and then as he opened his eyes, it was gone. He had only the memory of that one rippling phrase still echoing in his head, and itself fading so fast that he sat up abruptly in bed and reached his arm out to the air, as if he could bring it back. The room was very still, and there was no music, and yet Will knew that it had not been a dream. He was in the twins' room still. He could hear Robin's breathing slow and deep from the other bed. Cold light glimmered round the edge of the curtains, but no one was stirring anywhere. It was very early. Will pulled on his rumpled clothes from the day before and slipped out of the room. He crossed the landing to the central window and looked down. In the first shining moment, he saw the whole strange familiar world glistening white, the roofs of the outbuildings mounted into square towers of snow, and beyond them all the fields and hedges buried, merged into one great flat expanse, unbroken white to the horizon's brim. Will drew in a long, happy breath, silently rejoicing. Then... Very faintly, he heard the music again, the same phrase. He swung round vainly, searching for it in the air, as if he might see it somewhere, like a flickering light. Where are you? It had gone again, and when he looked back through the window, he saw that his own world had gone with it. In that flash, everything had changed. The snow was there as it had been a moment before, but not piled now on roofs or stretching flat over lawns and fields. 
There were no roofs. There were no fields. There were only trees. Will was looking out over a great white forest, a forest of massive trees, sturdy as tower and ancient as rock. They were bare of leaves, clad only in the deep snow that lay untouched along every branch, each smallest twig. They were everywhere. They began so close to the house that he was looking out through the topmost branches of the nearest tree, could have reached out and shaken them if he had dared to open the window. All around him, the trees stretched to the flat horizon of the valley. The only break in that white world of branches was away over to the south where the Thames ran. He could see the bend in the river marked like a single stilled wave in this white ocean of forest, and the shape of it looked as though the river were wider than it should have been. Will gazed and gazed, and when at last he stirred, he found that he was clutching the smooth iron circle threaded onto his belt. The iron was warm to his touch. And the reason that I wanted to read that that passage particularly is you can just see the poetry or hear the poetry in in the words. She is, I think, uh, crafting each sentence very carefully, and and it's beautiful. It, there's, I, I don't even normally like description that much, but that moment I can almost feel of what it would be like to wake into a world that is ancient and, and not at all what you think it's going to be. I think description is very hard to pull off and make interesting, so when an author <laughs> it does is. it, it's very impressive. Absolutely. Well, uh, Susan, uh, thank you so much uh, for picking this book. It gives me a chance to reread it. And uh, thank you for taking the time uh, to talk to me about it today. Absolutely. I, I, I love to share the book, and, and I hope a few more people pick it up and get to experience the, the pure magic that is The Dark is Rising. You can find Susan's website at susanadrian.net. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.